guy in the NBA should ever, should ever, have, should ever wear a 23. I've been working on that shot my whole life. And, uh, you know, for that one to go in, you know, that was, that was liberating right there, man. And I'm not, I'm not shoving it aside, you know, like it don't mean anything. I know it's important. I do. I honestly do. But we talking about 23 Justin J.D. Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back to the 23 Shots of JD's podcast uh, new series, 30 and 10, uh, where we essentially break down all 30 teams in the NBA uh, just 10 days before the season starts. So um, uh, on the podcast today, I got Craig from Rasball.com. You want to introduce yourself? Hi Jordan, yeah, pleased to be here, just riding a bit of a high over here in England at the moment. Uh, we yep. just retained the Ryder Cup in uh, in golf, NBA oh, preseason is now for... Yeah, definitely. Uh, NBA preseason is now fully underway, so really excited to get the, the basketball season going. Cool, that's perfect. And just sort of for my listeners to hear, uh, just to know a bit about your background, what do you sort of do on Razzball.com? Well, uh, over at Razzball, we're primarily a, a fantasy um, sports site, and we cover all the major American sports, if you like, so basketball, baseball, American football, and hockey. Um, we have sort of four sub teams, if you like, where you know each each individual sport has its own team. We have premium tools where we have um, you know DFS lineups um, that are created. Um, we've got um, you know daily sort of insight into how to improve your fantasy teams. You know different people cover different areas. I mean, m- me myself, I tend to cover um, the college hoop side, the European hoop side, and the NBA draft. And, you know, my primary interest within basketball is more the player development side rather than necessarily just the NBA. So um, plenty going on over there. If you haven't checked it out before, it's a very fun site. We're an independent site, although quite large. You know, we get kind of get to do what we want when we want, which was kind of the appeal several years ago about joining them. So, so yeah, if you haven't um, checked us out before, definitely worth checking us out. Cool, yeah, I actually checked out your website um, when we first sort of linked up, and um, yeah, definitely a good, great website to go to. I like sort of the blog articles where they're nice and concise, so really straight to the point and uh, sort of gets, you know, um, the message forward quite easily. Um, Just sort of as well, you know, um, how long have you sort of been into basketball? Obviously, um, I'm guessing you've probably been based in the UK most of your life, so is, is basketball a big thing in the UK, or is it growing? How would you sort of say the scene in regards to, you know, the UK um, being more receptive to, you know, basketball and stuff like that is? Well, I've probably followed basketball since about 1991, I guess, um, about the age of nine. Uh, we used to have, like, a highlights program, if you like, on Saturday mornings uh, for an hour long, and that was kind of, you know, just being passionate about sport at that age. That was kind of how I got into it. Um, I then started to play quite a bit. Um, I spent uh, quite a bit of time as a child living in Brisbane, um, so the access to playing was a lot greater than it was here. Basketball was kind of a non-entity as a participation sport here. Um, now it's one of the fastest growing participation sports here, but we don't really have what what you would consider much of a, a competitive domestic league that rivals anything close to that of, say, France or Lithuania or the Adriatic League or Spain. Um, so the participation element of it is growing, um, but in terms of its actual sort of popularity, you know, you, you wouldn't meet an average person down the street and, they, you know, they, they wouldn't know who Carl Anthony Towns was, for example. Um, yeah, but you'd yeah, see plenty enough. of Minnesota 
But they'll wear, happily wear a Minnesota Timberwolves hat, but uh, they wouldn't know anything about them. So, I mean, it is growing. Um, you know, the biggest sort of stalwart um, that we have and the biggest thing in our favour was uh, Luol Deng, really. Um, he's been a sort of a revelation to uh, British basketball. I know that he's pretty much hated in LA with how much he costs them with barely playing. Um, but he's, he's invested so much into the sport in this country. You know, he was happy to really lead the national team and really try and make the sport grow. He invests a ton of money. Um, and primarily because of him, you know, this, that, that's why the participation is, you know, on the up here. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's good to hear. I've always wondered about that because I feel like, um, yeah, Bath was very much an untapped market within the UK. I feel like, um, you know, being based in Australia, there's definitely been a massive growth period, especially um, on the backs of, you know, the new age, I guess, Australian basketball players and Ben Simmons, Dante Exim, uh, Thon Mason, sure. and the likes. And I feel like definitely if the UK could sort of grow that type of development, like you said, sort of player development, um, uh, domestically, I think it could work out um, the UK to grow a lot more because they already have they already send the NBA games to the UK, so it seems that they're receptive to watching basketball and they like the sport itself and I guess the league. But um, like you said, domestically and building it internally within the UK is probably something that um, UK basketball might need to work on. They're definitely trying. I mean, like you said, we have the the one game a, uh, a year here that's that's held in London. Um, the difficulty is it's held in an arena which you know only holds about eighteen thousand. So the ticket prices they they go for about two hundred and fifty pounds um, if you're lucky enough to even get one. Um, so it, it's not really achievable to go unless you've got you know that kind of money to spend. You know we ha- we do have it on the telly, um, but it's going to be losing its rights on the telly soon um, oh, on one of our sports channels. So you know that's a downer. But it, it is growing, um, but it's still quite a way ways away from catching up. You know with with the likes of France or Spain. Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's that's quite interesting to say because yeah, it's weird that. Everywhere else in Europe, basketball is one of the more premier sports, but it seems that UK seems to be um, lagging a bit behind. But um, yeah, I think I'll just we'll probably just drop straight into it. Um, so w- the teams that we're looking at today is the Charlotte Hornets, the Sacramento Kings, and the Phoenix Suns. And uh, just starting with the Charlotte Hornets, um, one of those interesting teams in the West. Um, they're sort of a French playoff playoff team. It's hard to really judge a team like that. They're sort of one of those teams that. Um, that I like to call just in that no man no man's land area. Like they're not fighting for a championship at all, but they're not so bad that they're really tanking or fighting for the lottery. So um, yeah, are you are you uh, much of a Hornets fan, Craig? Um, no, I, I don't actually support any one particular team of the NBA. I just have a, a love for the yep. game itself. I, you know, I'm a big Baylor fan um, in college hoops, um, but in terms of the NBA, you know, I spend time watching all the teams. Um, primarily tracking a, a lot of the, the younger guys and how they're developing. Um, you know, Charlotte Hornets are certainly one of the teams that I'll be um, spending a lot of time watching this year. You know, like you said, uh, they've been in no man's land, but a great deal has sort of changed there over the summer. Um, you know, they had to try something, and moving on from Steve Clifford is you know, a big plus, if you ask me. You've got James Borrego coming in, who's now trying to push this 12-second shot clock, and in the, the three games they've played in preseason, it's definitely you know it's it's definitely action and not words. Um, so it's, that's definitely interesting, especially as it's kind of forced the ball movement to improve. They they looked a, lo- a lot more stagnant last year than what um, than what they kind of should have done. So um, 
it's it's definitely an interesting thing to see this year. I mean, are they going to get more wins? I think that they they probably will um, get a couple more wins, but I still think they're in that no man's land. And the, sort of the difficulty comes is with the salaries, really. You know, they've got so much money tied into guys like Nick Batum and uh, Biombo and Marvin Williams for the next couple of seasons that they're going to have to try and get really creative if they push forward. But, you know, changing the coach to James Verigo, a guy that I'm very, very much a fan of, um, you know, up in the tempo, the emergence of guys like Malik Monk and, you know, Miles Bridges is going to be going to be huge in their development and probably addition by subtraction by losing Dwight Howard as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I did want to mention that. How do you, how do you, how do you think the whole Dwight Howard experiment sort of panned out? Because before he came there, he was already on his... I think it would have been his fourth team, basically. And I think they were trying to get a bit of, you know, pick-and-roll action with Campbell Walker, obviously, as a primary ball handler, and then try and, you know, play that 1-2 game. But, yeah, it just didn't seem to pan out for the for the Hornets just last year. It was, it was, yeah, it was just a bit interesting to sort of see how they didn't really, you know... I, I guess they didn't have any expectations, like we both said, they're in no-man's land, but... You sort of expected a bit more, especially you know, considering that they were a French playoff team the year before that. So uh, definitely interesting. Especially um, one thing I wanted to point out, and uh, you might probably be one of the better people to talk upon this, is sort of Malik Monk's progression. Because um, I've been a big proponent of Malik Monk in the podcast in the past. When he first got drafted, I said this guy's going to be a stud. Uh, New York Knicks completely you know, messed up. They should have got Malik Monk. Um, of all that score, scoring shooter guard, he basically lit up the um, the SEC in college. You know, killed it from Kentucky. Had like a forty point game, so he really had everything: athleticism, could shoot the three, and just to me personally, with, um, with the Hornets, he didn't really get much game time. I don't know if that was like a strategic move. Maybe he was injured, or maybe just coaching differences. I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. But how do you think Malik Monk? Um, was last year in his rookie season how do you think he's going to progress in uh, the upcoming season I'm so glad you brought this up I'm um, I'm considered the Malik Monk lover over at Rasball if you like Um, like huge huge fan of his I mean literally it's difficult to find a post this preseason without me finding or one of our podcasts without you know there being plenty of Monk talk Um, I'm with you I'm a huge 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 fan of the skill set um, like you said, um, you know, he played in that really exciting Kentucky team with Yaron Fox and Bam Adebayo. And, you know, he, he primarily played off the ball there, which kind of undersold his ability as a ball handler. You know, Kentucky played with a very fast system, but they wanted to put the ball in De'Aaron Fox's hands because of the, you know, the speed that Fox has, had, uh, Fox has to push the pace. But like you said, um, you know, he's very, very athletic, and um, if you look at his field goal percentage last year, it really undersold how good of a shooter he really is. Um, where I think the problems lied last year was, uh, one, Steve Clifford, um, to get the best out of Monk, you've got to move the ball. Clifford, you know, like you said, Dwight Howard came in, um, they tried the pick and roll action, made the offense a bit predictable. And two, I think some of the expectations from some people on Malik Monk were a little bit too high too soon because you're talking about a six foot three um, guard who is a, who wasn't physically very strong and what, what we really needed to see and what he really needed was time to, to build the confidence to take top contact against more physically stronger players and at the back end of the season we really saw that when they started to rest Kemba and some of the other guys 
he was getting 24 minutes a game. I think the final month of the season, he you know he averaged 20 points a game, four assists, four rebounds. You know, shooting percentage at that time was like 48 percent, and that's kind of what I you know I'm not expecting that level just yet. But he really showed you know that he was now in a position where he was willing to attack the lane and use that athleticism against bigger, stronger people. So I think some of the expectations were just too high too quickly for a guy that's so small, if you like. Um, so, you know, there was, there was a bit of physical maturation going on there, and I still think that is a bit of the case. But with the Hornets looking to, to play this 12-second shot clock, um, which they have been doing quite successfully in the preseason, it's really going to benefit into Monk's hands and really show what he can do as a you know as a ball handler and a distributor, not just as a as a shooter. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I definitely um, you know uh, when before the draft before he got drafted, there was a lot of sort of talks that he could be sort of in that Devin Booker mode, like you mentioned that he didn't really get the opportunity to be much of a ball handler at Kentucky. You know, De'Aaron Fox was very much the primary um, distributor. But much like Devin Booker when he played, um, you know, in the Collins Indy Towns Kentucky team, he didn't really get much action in regards to handling the ball individually, playing that pick and roll action. So, um, I honestly like like yourself, I do have a big rap on Malik Mark and I think I don't think he's gonna be as good as Devin Booker, but I think a similar progression in the way that the Charlotte Hornets might go, especially um unknown what Kemba Walker's gonna be doing. So yeah, I definitely see Malik Monk um being uh, take, so it's taking that big step forward um, in his progression. But um, as you mentioned as well, the 12-second shot clock sort of um, theory that uh, the new coach Bereg is doing, uh, San Antonio Spurs assistant, do you think he's going to get as much success at the Hornets um, as quickly as other sort of Spurs assistants had, um, like Mike Budenholzer or um, uh, the, the, guy, the coach from Philadelphia? God, it's escaping my mind now. But you know what I mean? Like, Do you think no, he can bring what pop... Yeah, you know, you know. Um, do you think you could bring what Pop yeah, yeah, yeah. Taught, taught him um, into the uh, Hornet system? I think so. I think the difficulty that he's going to have is the personnel that he has there. I think it's mm. still a team that's going to find its identity, um, especially on the defensive end. And I think some of the trying to push the pace is to try and outshoot their opponents, if you like, as opposed to, um, you know, really... Being, you know, other teams being able to exploit them defensively. I mean, I'm a big, big fan of Malik Monk, but from a defensive standpoint, he's not quite there yet. They're trying to move away from Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, and um, you know, I think he's got a player option next year, which I think he'd be a fool not to take. Um, but I think they're trying to move away from you know Michael Kidd-Gilchrist and Marvin Williams style of play. Um, but there are, you, you look at that lineup and you think that you, there are certain, you know guys that will be playing minutes that can be exploited defensively you know if they if they roll Willie Hearn and Gomez in the front court you know that's a guy that's going to get abused and bullied up there you know great offensive per minute contributions um, but as a real life defender not so much which is why you're probably going to see you know a lot of Cody Zeller as well um, so I think there's an element of finding identity I mean with Monk as well you know I think you've got to temper expectations for the first two, two or three months, maybe. I think they're still trying to figure out whether he's going to be, you know, a potential more of a ball handler or whether he's going to play the shooting guard. I mean, Nick Batum's now moving to the three, so that's going to open up some time for the two. But I think Jeremy Lamb, with his length and, you know, he's, he's a superior defender to Monk at this point, is probably going to get the bulk of the minutes there. 
Um, so I think we're going to see a lot of Monk playing, a, you know, backup point, backup shooting guard. And I think, you know, with Monk, with, you know, maybe Willie Hernan Gomez, Miles Bridges as well, I think they're, they're really trying to find out what they've got in these, these guys and, you know, what their real role is going to be for the team in the future. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, you, you did touch on Miles Bridges before. Um, he's definitely had um, some really great performances in preseason. I think a couple of 20-point games and some uh, monster put-back dunks. And I think he sort of falls victim to a lot of these college stars that go a second year um, in college. You know, they sort of get more criticised. And in, in regards to his stats, he didn't necessarily improve. I think he did, in some stats, really um, not decline, but got less than what he did in his freshman season. But I think Miles Bridges is one of those players I don't think he's going to you know, fail in the NBA. He's got that type of motor, that type of... Um, sort of just passion for the sport that sort of a lot of people, a lot of players really lack in the NBA, especially when they get, you know, their big paycheck. So I think Miles Bridges is definitely someone that the Hornets want to uh, develop uh, along with Hernan Gomez and Monk. Um, another another sort of change that they made in the offseason was obviously Mitch Kopchak um, coming in as GM. Do you think that's going to be a positive or negative effect? Uh, is that going to have a uh, positive or negative effect on on the Hornets, because obviously, you know, Lakers fans probably don't look at him in the best light, especially with his um, last tenure, or the end of his tenure at the Lakers, so, you know, how do you think Mitch Kopchak's role is going to really influence the Hornets? Uh, I I don't think it's going to be overly positive, to be honest with you. Um, Mm. You know, looking at what he did at the Lakers, I think that it's quite easy to be pessimistic, especially when you, you look at the situation that the, the Hornets are in in terms of their their cap space. I you know, There's not a lot to work with, and I don't know whether he's going to be able to be creative enough in order to, to really do what they need to do. I mean, you know, whether Kemba stays or go is going to be, goes is going to be a real sort of like big point for them this season. And when that decision is kind of made, they're really going to have to try and get creative to to find a you know a clear path forwards because even if Kemba doesn't resign and goes elsewhere in free agency or or if, you know if they don't trade him, um, they're still going to have a lot of bad contracts on the book books which you know it's not a situation like Sacramento um, or Atlanta or you know Brooklyn which have a ton of cap space uh, where they can get creative. So you know I'm not a big fan of the the Cupjack signing uh, or the hiring. Um, isn't for me but again sometimes just a fresh environment a new set of tools uh you know it can work wonders at times yeah yeah most definitely and i think just to sort of finish off on the hornets what do you think sort of hornets fans or maybe just general nba fans should expect from the from the team i honestly think they're gonna you know miss the playoffs even though they have an all-star caliber point guard and kemba walker i think uh what we touched on before they're sort of uh, roster is not really adept to really competing um, within even in the Eastern Conference alone. So, yeah, what, what do you think um, lies ahead for the Hornets this season? Um, well, I th- I've got them pegged down for 38 wins um, this season, yep. which is you know a couple more than than last year. Uh, I think there's. I think they're one of those teams that have quite a high standard deviation on how their performance can go. And, you know, it's going to come down to that, that chemistry early. Um, you know, how are the, the, the players going to respond to um, this new up-tempo system? I mean, they kind of, you know, you look at the roster and they've kind of got the depth to be able to to play a lot of these guys, you know, you know, play the run, run, run system and play a lot of these guys 23, 24, 25 minutes and try and, you know, 
out hustle and out work teams if you like so I think there's the potential for wins there but I think I think we're still looking at a bit of no man's land here you know Malik Monk I'm a massive fan he's still not quite there yet you know Miles Bridges you know let's wait to see what what his role is actually going to be is, is he a small forward is he a power forward you know they've even experimented this preseason playing him at the five but there is a bit of a log jam in that front court which is quite difficult at this point to really you know suss out who's going to get what minutes here and there um so there, there's a lot of identity you know there's plenty of talent on the team but there's a, a bit of an identity crisis still especially seeing as you know, will Kemba get traded? Is he, you know, or you know, is he going to sign, or is he just going to leave in free agency? So, um, you know, th- there's a wide st- standard deviation of what could happen for this team. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And I think, I guess, talking about you know teams trying to get younger and trying to get more youthful, uh, the Sacramento Kings are definitely one of those teams in the NBA that are really going for that youthful route and going through um, building through the draft. And um, obviously, last year it was no, it was no. You know, um, you know, it was a clear, clear thing that they were going to try and tank. They weren't really competing for anything. I think they wanted to play a lot of the young players, especially getting what um, you know they believe to be their future point guard, um, De'Aaron Fox, and on top of that, um, Bogdan Bogdanovich from the, from the Euroleague, who's had a very prolific career over there as a youngster, and um, obviously taking a bit of a bit of a smoking on Harry Giles. So, um, yeah, well, what did you think of the Kings last year and how they were able to utilize sort of De'Aaron Fox and um, the other new young players. I think one of the surprises for me last year was the fact that Sacramento Kings actually got to 27 wins. Um, yeah, yeah. It was it was a total mess last year from the start. It was a mess, and then it just got worse. Uh, the George Hill side, you know, I understand that the importance of of veteran presence with so many young guys around. But, you know, they, they invested a high pick in De'Aaron Fox, uh, and then they signed George Hill... Uh, to a horrible contract they you know they had two two guys that could run the floor in transition with Scal and Willie Corley Stein and they bring in Zebo, you know as another veteran presence um, but the first time it looks like the right noises are coming out um, was Marvin Bagley Jr. The, or Marvin Bagley the third the right call at the number two pick uh, you know time will tell um, but they you know they've they drafted him at two and if you do that You've got to play at a faster pace. And they're making the noise. You know, Dave Yeager's come out and said, you know, we're going to push the pace this year, really play to our strengths through De'Aaron Fox's pace. You know, Marvin Bagley and Harry Giles are both tremendous athletes, run the floor very well, and you get the best out of them when they play in transit, you know, transition basketball. Um, he said that he's going to play the young guns as well. So I think the days of, you know, Costa Kufus and Zebo. Um, you know how Costa Kufus is still in the league is absolutely beyond me. But we well, still have a little well. bit. But we still have a bit of the Kings being the Kings. I mean, I didn't quite understand the 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 Belitsa signing. Um, you know, they got Wenyan Gabriel on a two-way contract, which I kind of thought could do the the same thing, just much much cheaper, rather than commit to paying you know twenty-one million dollars over three years to be uh, to Belitsa. Um, so it's going to be another tricky season ahead, but I think that you know, at, at final, well, at long last, it seems like they're making the right noises, trying to play to their strengths. Um, you know, I'm a big, big fan of Harry Giles. I, I think he's going to be brought along slowly, but he was really impressive in summer league. You know, this was a high school phenom. You know, one of the you know 
best high schoolers there was, you know, before the injuries really, really derailed him. Never looked the same at Duke. Glad that he sat out last year. So it's a, a big, big season for him. But again, we've got that logjam in the front court. Um, it, it's very difficult to predict how they're going to go minutes-wise. But I really hope that, you know, Bagley and Harry Giles at least are given a chance to really show what they can do in a fast-tempo offense. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like how you do. Uh, you mentioned Harry Giles because he's often sort of just a forgotten person in the draft. Obviously, with his, I think he had two torn ACLs throughout his high school career, so he was definitely forgotten. But like you said, he was a high school phenom. He was the number one um, ESPN 100 player in his class. And ironically enough, he was sort of compared to Chris Webber. He was sort of a you know do do everything forward. He could get to the pinch post, um, fade away and stuff like that. Get in, get into the post. Um, you know, rebound, athletic, and obviously just with his um, knee issues, he sort of derailed his start of his career. But, yeah, like you said, he does look a bit more positive in summer league and uh, a little bit in the preseason action and stuff like that. But what I do want to get to is is the Marvin Bagley pick. I think um, sort of a sort of a safe pick in my opinion, especially, you know, he he had a monster production year at 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 um at Duke and sort of you know what you're gonna get from him he's gonna score he's gonna rebound but I think that sort of X factor that stardom that superstar potential that a lot of people are looking for especially in a number two pick I don't think he has and um obviously looking at a lot of other people they think that maybe they should have picked up a Luka Doncic or um you know maybe going a different direction maybe Jan Jackson who knows so yeah how 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 do you feel about Marvin Bagley getting picked at number two. I don't have that much issue with the pick, to be honest with you. Um, I guess I'm on the other side of the coin where I think you look at the guys, and you look at the skill sets, and I think Marvin Bagley is a guy that has the skill set to be all star, you know, a future all star candidate. Um, you know, he is predominantly one handed, which is a real issue. Um, was really found out in isolation play in summer league. You know, he came out of Duke where um, you know they transitioned to the zone defense, and it kind of made them all look a bit, you know, weak on the defensive end outside of uh, Wendell Carter Jr. And really seemed to hurt quite a few, you know, Gary Trent Jr. and Trayvon Duval's start, uh, draft stock. Um, but I, I think there is an it factor there. You know, like you said, um, you know, this is a guy that, that has the potential to be elite in points, elite in rebounds. I think he, uh, off the top of my head, I think he, he might have set the, the freshman SEC or or maybe even college freshman record for you know rebounds in a in a season and you've got to remember that he was a you know, he forego his senior year in high school to sort of reclassify in order to enter the 2000 NBA draft and um, you know join Duke so he is you know he is still only just turned 19 years old still very very young um, I think the Kings is just a tough landing spot for anybody um, but. At least with them, you know, making the noises that they're they're going to push the pace. It's gonna that's going to play to Bagley's strength. Strengths. It would have been criminal had they not drafted Luka Doncic and then still played at the league's second worst pace, um, because you know Doncic does have that you know perimeter creative ability. Um, you know that, that that sort of the keys to the offense, if you like. There's still work to be done there for for Marvin Bagley, um, but I didn't hate the pick. Uh, you know, I, I'm a massive massive fan of Luka Doncic. Um, but I didn't hate the pick. I do think there is a bit of an it factor there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I guess maybe, yeah. I think again, it's, he sort of falls victim to a lot of you know college players that they, they you know they start off big, you know, much like Trey Young and some others. Even DeAndre Ayton got a similar 
similar route where it's just like they put up so such great numbers at the beginning and then people just sort of want to nitpick at the little things and yeah, I think Marvin, and just in my opinion, I don't think Marvin Bagley has, you know, super side, maybe all side potential, but I think he sort of falls under that maybe DeMarcus Cousins route where he's just, he, he gets great stats, he's going to put up his numbers, but is he going to elevate his team and who knows? Maybe you don't need him to elevate his elevate the team. Maybe you have people like De'Aaron Fox or, um, you know, other maybe veterans on the team that are going to, you know, sort of fill that void. But yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see Marvin Bagley definitely... Um, if anyone's a betting man here, I think he's definitely a sort of a smoky, not really a smoky, but, you know, everyone has DeAndre Ayton as Rookie of the Year, but I think if you want to, you know, pick a point of difference type of person, I think Marvin Bagley's definitely going to gonna be putting up some points and he's going to be putting up some rebounds as well. Um, some other, you know, notable Just sorry, just to go back to Bagley, to, just to go back to Bagley for one second, um, and a lot of the things that you tend to hear is, you know, he he's a poor defender, he didn't block many shots in college and stuff. Um, you know, like I said, the sort of Duke system really kind of found him wanted in that department. Um, but you know, you watch him through summer league. You watch, you know, you watch the the, the game the other night in pre uh, preseason game. That athletic ability, were, you know, th- there is defensive naivety there. Don't get me wrong, but again, you expect that from uh, you know a, a, a rookie, especially a one and done rookie um, like Marvin Bagley. But the athleticism is there for it to really play on the defensive end. You know, in summer league, you know, he he really caused problems, altering shots, uh, blocking shots, because of how high you know the kid can jump. Um, mm-hmm. So I think he is. I, I think a lot, you know a lot of people are quick to label. You know, a lot of people had these same concerns with Jason Tatum last year, saying that he's not, you know again out of Duke, he's not a very good defender. You know, the footwork's lacking, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And, you know, look what Boston have done with him. I think I'm kind of trying to say that, you know, these are not finished products. A lot of it starts now with the development. You've got to remember in college, they have the CARA rule, so they're not like, you know, they're not coached full time, if you like. So they get their 20 yeah. hours a week coaching as a player. And it really does make a difference, especially with the freshmen. So I think, you know, it's easy to point the finger at Marvin Bagley because it, you know, it wasn't an overwhelming summer league. Um, there are deficiencies there, but I, you look at every player in, from the NBA draft this year, and every player has some kind of red flag in some way, shape, or form. I think. Yeah, yeah, most definitely, I do agree. Um, you know, a lot of these rookies are not finished products, so uh, yeah, we've got to see what it does. But um, you know, to you know, Sacramento Kings is development compared to Boston Celtics development. That might be a sort of you know, where, you know, the difference between Jason Tatum and Marvin Bagley's sort of career projections might lie. But just to note some other uh, signings, Ben Macklemore coming back to the Kings. Um, again, that's that's an interesting one. And obviously, uh, you touched upon Bielitsa getting signed. And um, them signing Yogi Ferrer as well. I guess that's probably going to be their backup uh, point guard um, for De'Aaron Fox. But just again, just to sort of wrap up on the Kings, what do you think the expectations or how people should feel about the Kings? Again, don't think they're going to be you know, looking for any playoff um, hopes, especially in the tough Western Conference. But uh, I think they'll definitely be one of those teams that you want to watch, you know, a league pass team where they've got young, exciting players, as we mentioned from the top, Fox, Bagley, Giles, Bogdan. Um, they're going to they're gonna play at a high pace. They're going to be, uh, you know, athletic, young, quick, fast. So, yeah, definitely a team to look to. How do you feel about um, their sort of season season progressions? Well, I actually think, you know, I feel much better about the Kings now um, than what I did, say, this time a year ago. Again, like I said, you know, they're making the right noises. They're playing to their strengths now. 
Um, you know, they're going to run the young guys out there, which is probably going to make it more fun to us, uh, certainly for me, to watch. I don't think they've got any worse, um, but I, they're, they're going to get less wins in Mars. You know, tw- I've got them pegged down for 21, just because you look at the, the teams around them in the West, down the bottom. You know, the, the Mavericks have got better with Luka Doncic and De- uh, DeAndre Ayton, sorry, DeAndre Jordan. Uh, signing, you know, you've got the Lakers, obviously, are going to get more wins. The Suns have made, you know, significant strides forward, if you like. Um, you know, obviously still question marks. But you've got to fancy them to, to increase their win total as well. So I, I, I don't think they've got any worse. And I think that another year's experience for a guy like De'Aaron Fox, yeah, and especially the confidence shown in him, you know, Marvin Bagley coming in, a ha- healthy Harry Giles, again, I think they're going to bring him along slowly. I think that you know the future is bright. It's just a bit of a shame that they haven't got their first round pick next year. Um, but that being said, just with the, how much stronger the West has got, you know, I, I, I see them going from twenty-seven to twenty-one wins through no real fault of their own. Yeah, yeah, of course. Just like you said, the Mavericks, the Lakers are going to get better. Uh, Denver's probably going to be pushing for players. So a lot of teams within that non-playoff race last year are definitely going to be pushing forward, like you said. And uh, I guess another team in the West. Uh, that sort of you could say improved, I think improved drastically, especially with their uh, with their pick is the Phoenix Suns. And uh, last year again, it was clear that they were gonna you know race for the tank, especially considering that um, the NBA changed its tanking, well, so its lottery system. So you know the Suns definitely gonna try and take advantage of getting that number one pick. And um, last year, uh, you know Devin Devin Booker took took a massive step, you know, he took a massive step and sort of solidified himself as one of the next young up-and-coming superstars, I think, you know, alongside his teammate, Carlos Anthony Towns, you know, he's definitely one of those players to really look to, exciting, young, shoot the three, he can, he's, he's really worked on his sort of Kobe-like fadeaway, so definitely doing, uh, doing well there, and um, Josh Jackson as well, I think he had a bit of a slow start in my opinion at the beginning of the year, but definitely picked it up towards the end of the year and definitely showed people that potential where you know, he had some player comps compare. Uh, some websites have player comps to uh, Kawhi Leonard. So Josh Jackson is definitely someone that you want to look to as well coming up this year. But um, yeah, and I think as well I should mention sort of the stagnancy of Dragon Bend. I think you know he was a top five pick a couple couple uh, years ago, and people were expecting him to be you know a lot more than he is now. And hopefully, you know, I, I don't like to see young guys not reach their potential. So I hope coming up to this summer and in, um, coming to the season that he can get a bit better as well. But, um, you know, you still, you yourself, Craig, how do you, how did you find the Phoenix Suns last year? Um, I, I think the important thing um, for the Phoenix Suns last year was really seeing the potential that Josh Jackson um, has got. Like you said, he started off slow, but that's nothing new for Josh Jackson. Um, at Kansas, he did exactly the same thing. Um, you know, he went in another high school phenom, if you like, projected number one overall pick contender, and he started the season really slow at Kansas. Um, then picked it up second half of the season. Then, you know, world beater might not be it might be a bit of an overstatement, but he certainly, you know, looked like one of the best players in college basketball, certainly within his draft class. Um, in the second half of the season, going into the NCAA tournament, um, he's you know he had a slow summer league, uh, but the preseason game the other night, seeing the chemistry between uh, him and DeAndre Ayton, you know the improved ability to pass the ball, handle the ball. Um, I'm a big fan of his abilities. You know he isn't a very good shooter um, just yet. You know horrific at the line as well. 
Um, but what's going to be really interesting is they, they just seem to have this logjam at the wings. Um, the other night we had TJ, War- you know, Josh Jackson started, TJ Warren came off the bench, but, you know, uh, Trevor Ariza, who they've recently, um, signed, you know, that's a guy that was, that's out injured who's going to be coming into the team. You know, is Devin Booker going to play the point guard? Um, I kind of like what they've done. Um, they've, they've kind of shut this rebuilding window, if you like. They're aggressive in the draft by, um, trading their pick and a future first get Mikhail Bridges. I'm not sure it's necessarily the right guy for them. For me, it's a, a limited upside guy. Um, and again, someone else who complicates the, the wings, if you like. But, you know, they got their much-needed centre that they that they wanted in, their local boy, DeAndre Eaton. I'm a massive fan of um, Elia Kobu, um, the point guard out of uh, Poe in France. Um, real maestro in the pick and roll, has a really excellent feel on the offensive end. Um, they brought in DeAnthony Melton, probably the sort of polar, polar opposite, if you like, through trade. Um, to Elia Kobu, where you know he's much more of a three and D guy, if you like, and so I like a lot of the things that they've done. I think it's just difficult. Again, the West has got so much better. You've just got to look at the fact of where are the wins going to come from. I mean, they they got 21 wins last season, which by anyone's standards is poor. Um, is there going to be how much of an improvement can they actually get? I mean, Ariza is a great signing. You know, DeAndre Ayton's obviously a great get with the number one overall pick. Uh, Mikael Bridges is going to have some impact straight away, um, but I've got them for 34 wins. I think they can do enough to, you know, to improve significantly. But I think they're still just they're still a bit away from being in, the, in that playoff contest. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I, just, I do. I did just want to ask you a question as well. Do you think um, there's all those uh, sort of moments about Devin Booker wanting to be part of a championship contender, really fight and try and play for the playoffs? Do you think? That definitely got into the psyche of the Phoenix Suns, um, you know, front office that they wanted to push for because they know that Devin Book is, you know, I think a generational talent. And do you think they were sort of pressured by him, scared that he might leave or he might, you know, sort of be disinterested in the franchise? Do you think they pushed hard to get, you know, Trevor Reed in free agency? They also got Ryan Anderson. So, you know, do, do you think that sort of influenced a lot of their summer decisions? Um, potentially, yes. Um but I don't think that was the be all and end all. I think ownership wanted to see a drastic improvement and didn't want a, a prolonged period, a period of rebuild, if you like. I think they they got the number one pick. They saw a window of opportunity to be able to improve quickly. Um, whether it's going to improve by enough is, you know, it remains to be seen. I mean, the big question mark really in terms of them taking it to the next level is what happens at the point guard. Are, you know, is Devin Booker going to play the one? Uh, are they going to push for trade? You know, is, you know, is a guy like Kemba Walker or, you know, and, and there's been some rumors of Tyus Jones uh, in Minnesota or maybe even one of the, you know, Toronto, you know, excellent Toronto backups in Fred Van Fleet or, uh, Delon Wright. Um, so there are question marks there, uh, definitely at the point guard position. Um, it, it's just difficult to see how it's going to materialise really they want the ball in Booker's hands but are they kind of taking something away from the team by by doing that I kind of feel that, that they do um, so it's, it's going to be an interesting season nonetheless and that point guard position is definitely going to be a key I think as to how many wins that they get like I said you know, I'm a big fan of Elia Kobus and I think in time 
he have uh, the ability to be a, a starting point guard in the league sooner rather than later. And I think his game will translate well because of the, you know, the success that he has as a, a pick and roll maestro or pick and pop as well. Um, you know, I think that could be the long term goal. But it, it seems like they want to put wins on the board now, and in order to do that, they're going to have to either get creative with Booker playing the point or exploring the trade market. You know, and, and who's your assets that you're going to trade? I mean, TJ Warren's probably, you know, the most likely to go, I would have thought. So there's still a lot of question marks there. But it's, again, another exciting team. A lot's changed there. Um, but that West is tough, man. You know, it's really tough. Yeah, yeah, it's really tough. Really, really tough. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, I guess what's going to aid them and really taking that next step forward is uh, definitely DeAndre Ayton, the number one pick um, in uh you know, last draft, and, you know, he put on a monster performance in his preseason debut, he sort of showed out and told everyone, you know, I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm fighting for my Rookie of the Year campaign, but not only that, I'm, um, I'm, I'm taking the lead by storm, and I think, um, you know, as we sort of mentioned throughout the podcast that, you know, there's a lot of, you know, college players that sort of get nitpicked at, and I, I definitely feel like he fell victim to that, and then on top of that, the whole Arizona scandal with um, Sean Miller and stuff like that with the NCAA, I think that definitely uh, sort of, uh, culminate into this whole sort of weird sort of perception of DeAndre Ayton, but I think he's definitely, definitely going to be a stud player. I think most people, maybe including yourself, would think that defensively he might need to definitely improve, but um, yeah, well, how, how do you feel about DeAndre Ayton at the Phoenix Suns and sort of how he's going to pan out this year? Um, I, I think you're right. I think there are question marks um, in terms of you know, the physical gifts are absolutely wonderful. You know, it's NBA-ready physical gifts. I still think there's uh, a lot of naivety on the defensive end and a lot of uh, the fundamental side of things with the basketball. It's almost like there's a reliance too much on his physical gifts rather than basketball IQ. And that's kind of the the, the only real big fl- uh, red flag that I have with DeAndre Ayton is is the basketball IQ there to really push it to the next level. You know, I'm confident that with Luka Doncic, although he doesn't have the, the physical gifts, if you like, that, that Aiton does, um, you know, obviously he's you know, a big boy um, that's going to create mismatch hell. But um, the potential's there, you know, it, the potential's there for him to be a, a really outstanding player. Uh, no question about it. I think that it's going to be a little bit more of a learning curve than what some people think. I mean, it was really impressive the other night. Was it 30 points, three blocks, 10 rebounds, etc.? But again, it's pre-season, pre-season against the Sacramento Kings and pre-season against the Sacramento Kings playing in a new system with a lot of new personnel uh, in an up-tempo um, style with two very young bigs, if you like, that he was up against. So I think we've got to kind of put some of the expectation a bit in check. Um, I think in terms of making them better, he will do eventually... I think that it's a big ask to expect too much of him making them that much of a better team immediately. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, most definitely. I see I definitely hear what you're sort of talking about that he does he's not obviously, you know, all these rookies are not a polished product, but he definitely um needs to get, you know, have a bit of work on defensively. And I do agree that physically he's especially in college he dominated most of his, you know, opposing centers. Used his, you know, he has the, you know, the big broad shoulders, so he definitely went at them physically and I think 
fundamentally because he did he started playing basketball at a very late age I think maybe 15 16 so realistically he hasn't had that much time of development and I've you know similarly enough that's sort of how Joe Embiid started you know he was very raw at Kansas and then we sort of sort of progression so who knows maybe it could end up being sort of a Joel Embiid type um, journey for him but um, definitely I feel like he's going to be the favorite for the rookie of the year uh, one more question I sort of wanted to ask as well um, you sort of being more into the college hoops did you think that the Mikhail Bridges, though his Smith trade was, uh, you know, the, the right one for the Phoenix Suns, was it worth it, or do you think they should have just kept Zaire Smith, especially because there was so much, um, so much, a lot of hype, especially coming draft about his athleticism, his sort of toughness and stuff like that, and Bridges was sort of the polished product. How did how do you think those sort of two players compared? Oh, I felt so far, sorry for Mikael uh, Bridges. Um, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> Philadelphia lad, mum works in the franchise, college at Villanova, really riding the high of winning a national championship, and he gets selected by his hometown. And then, what, 20 minutes later, is traded. Um, I didn't like the move for either side. Uh, either side. I thought um, Mikael Bridges could offer something immediately for the Philadelphia uh, 76ers. Um, especially in the playoffs where they need of you know defensive stalwartness about them, if you like. I mean, obviously they got Bob Covington there, but you know I think Fultz will come through as a fantastic player, but he isn't a very good defender. Neither is JJ Redick. Um, I think they needed that guy now. Um, so I was the 76ers in the position that they were in. I thought it was the right pick at the right time. And then, they, you know, I guess it it was hard for them to just pass up on that extra asset of that future first. And again, I didn't understand it necessarily from the Phoenix Suns point of view. Um, I thought, wait on Zaire Smith. I mean, like you said, the athleticism, it really is unreal. You know, he's a highlight machine, if you like, waiting to happen. But the offensive game's really, really raw. Um, I think that the defensive ceiling's very, very high. And that isn't to say that the offensive ceiling won't, won't increase, you know, we saw it with Kawhi Leonard having similar question marks and turning into an NBA superstar, if you like. Um, but I thought that waiting on Zaire Smith, keeping that future first, was the right move for the Phoenix Suns. I mean, you've got to remind the aggression that they're trying to make something happen and they wanted a guy that they felt could help the team obtain wins now. You know, I get that. I just felt being a bit more patient was probably the right call for the Phoenix Suns. Um, but yeah, poor Mikael Bridges. I mean, oh, I, I felt for the kid. Yeah, definitely. I was, I was watching the draft live and, you know, they had that whole interview. His mum was there. His mum was wearing, you know, the Phoenix Suns cap saying... You know, oh, his mum's hot, like, isn't she, as well? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's not, she's not bad. She's definitely not bad. And um, yeah, sort of just like sort of the perfect draft. And then, you know... Next minute, you see him get shipped to Suns. I I'm very much agree with your sort of opinion that Bridges would have fit with Philadelphia a lot more. Again, ready type player. Um, you know, people said that he should have got drafted by the Cavs if you know the Cavs are going to still play for um, LeBron James, hoping that he's going to sign with them. But yeah, definitely, I think Bridges is more of a ready talent. He's going to produce. Um, I don't think. I think he might be a bit overhyped because he sort of had the sensation he was in um, Villanova. But um, yeah, I, th look I think he's a really he, solid player. Look at the players he had around him at Villanova, though. I think that you know you got to remember this was a, a three-year college player, not a freshman. And you know yeah, he had Jalen Brunson. Well. 
Yeah, he had Jalen Brunson, Amari Spellman, uh, Dante DiVincenzo. You know, he had a really good team around him that, that really suited his style of play. So I think for me, he's a guy that has limited, you know, he hasn't got that superstar upside, if that makes sense. But he was exactly what Philadelphia needed. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I understood, you know, Brett Brown, you know, he was the interim GM at the time, wasn't he? And he was like, you know, he was battling with himself, wasn't he? Does, it, does he as a GM take the offer where he gets the future asset? Or, you know, as a coach, I think Mikael Bridges was the guy he wanted. I think I think they should have stuck with their guns. But, um, you know, time will tell. Like we sort of alluded to earlier, these aren't finished products. You know, this is just the beginning. You know, they bring a skill set to the table. It's how those, you know, strengths and weaknesses are now developed and translate to the NBA, which is important. So, you know, time is going to be the real teller on that trade. Yeah, exactly. I think sort of just running off on the Suns, much like all the um, you know the other teams that you sort of addressed um, thus far, they're gonna you know they're gonna play play young. They're gonna try and improve their record, um, as you mentioned. I think um, they're gonna be a lot more competitive. Uh, it's it's unfortunate Evan Booker injured his hand, so we don't know you know, how long he's going to be fully out for. I, don't, I, I didn't see much of the diagnosis, but I think he's going to miss at least the start of the season. So we'll see how, you know, they're going to adjust with that Devin Booker in the lineup and then, you know, when he comes back into the lineup. So definitely going to be an interesting time for the Suns. If, you know, if you're a Phoenix fan, definitely this is one of the times that you want to really be on board because there's, there's, a, there's a lot of hope for the Phoenix Suns. Yeah, d- d- definitely. I mean, the, the arrow is definitely trending in the right direction. I just, I, I kind of wish they 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 were willing to take, you know, a little bit more of a patient approach uh, than than what they have. I kind of feel that they're rushing a little bit too much into trying to get those wins wins now, and um, it might not pay off. Um, I, I would have preferred them to keep that future first rounder, but we'll see. Um, you know, I th- I do think that you know I know a lot of people are predicting them to take a a big spike in the right direction um, in terms of their performance. It's just like I said earlier, it, it's going to be tough. Those wins, those wins in the West are are going to be real premium wins. You know, so many teams have got better. I mean, you look at the West. Who realistically uh, has got much worse? You know, the, the Grizzlies had a poor season, but they've got Conley. You know, Mike Conley returning. They drafted Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, you know the Lakers are going to improve. Uh, Mavericks are going to improve. I mean, you, you've got to expect some losses. You know, some additional losses for the Timberwolves. But it's really difficult to you know when you, when you try and sort of pan out records in the West, it's really difficult to pan out where those additional wins are going to come from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like like we sort of mentioned before, the Western Conference is a whole another beast compared to the Eastern Conference, but. Um, yeah, just sort of just to round off the podcast as well, like you mentioned at the top, that you sort of more focus, you know, on player development, the rookies, college game, and stuff like that. Uh, just you know, for for my listeners here, who who do you think are some rookies that maybe don't get a lot of shine or don't get a lot of notice that fans should really take um, some some type of attention to? Um, what? So it's kind of sleeper rookies, if you like. Yeah, yeah, I guess people sleeper that rookies have the skill maybe set to break out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So once like I you know, sort of. We see before like the Carl Coos and the types where you know no not a lot of people are sort of expecting much, but then sort of comes out of the nice polished product and definitely contributes well to the team uh, a lot more than what people initially expected. 
Well, I think it was quite a unique draft in a sense this year that, um, you know, it happens every year. But this year, we saw a lot of potential lottery picks fall into the second round. And, you know, I say potential lottery picks, potential lottery picks a year before they were drafted. Um, you know, Gary Trent Jr. was a five-star recruit out of uh, Duke. He was at one point projected as a lottery pick. You know, he got taken in the 30s. Uh, you know, Mitchell Robinson was very much the same. I, I feel really sorry for that kid because, uh, you know, all the athleticism in the world, uh, you know, another five-star recruit, a few off-field things went wrong, you know, ended up not going to college. He got some really poor advice from the team around him. They, they told him to pull out the combine, really hurt his draft stock, and he went, you know, 39th or something like that off the top of my head to the Knicks. Um, so they're definitely two guys... Um, an undrafted guy who, um, again, was a five-star recruit that might, you know, I'm not expecting a superstar, but it's definitely worth just keeping an eye out for the name is Trayvon Duval. Um, you know, his draft stock absolutely plummeted last year. But again, at one point, he was considered the number one point guard uh, in the in the class, you know, the one number point guard prospect ahead of, you know, guys like Trey Young. Um, I've also got to go for my guy, Jana Musa as well, um, Bosnian, uh, drafted by Brooklyn Nets. He's a really unique player, six, six foot nine guy who has the ability to put the ball on the floor, handle the ball, a decent passer, can score from three levels. Um, really weak on the defensive end, um, but I think he's in a, you know, in a system that plays the fastest pace in the league. Um, he invites, you know, he really welcomes and invites confidence. He has that swagger, um, and I think that he's going to be a fun player. You know, we're not talking about NBA All Star level or anything, but I think he's definitely a guy that, in terms of, he, he's a guy that can that can score, pass the ball, put the ball on the floor, and he's going to get a lot of mismatches being six foot nine, occasionally playing the two and the three as well. So, um, yeah, they're they're three guys I think that you know definitely outside the lottery that are definitely worth in consideration of just keeping an eye on in terms of future performance. Cool, yeah, that's, yeah, that's awesome to hear. Uh, you actually brought up an interesting point. I hope I'm not taking much more of your time, but you, you do focus sort of on college, and I don't get a lot of college uh, sort of, I guess you could pundits, I guess you could say, but, um, you, yeah, you sort of said, you know, you mentioned names like Trevon De, Trevon DeVol, uh Gary Trent Jr., and, you know, they're all teammates at Duke, and I feel like, Obviously, there's been this sort of trend, you know, again with Duke, you know, Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, um, Karen Reddish, that sort of these creating these super teams within the college environment. And do you think that's a positive thing for people? Do you think, you know, that's the right way for, you know, these sort of top recruits to approach going to college? Should they go to these colleges where they can be the star? Or should they go and team up? Because I feel like, you know, like I mentioned, you got the camp, you got Karen Reddish, Zion Williamson, RJ Barrett, that they're probably going to be top five picks, but then you have someone like on the team as well, Trey Jones, who was the number one, number two point guard in the class, and he might sort of be overshadowed. And, you know, how do you think that sort of works out in the future for these sort of, you know, ESPN 100 type players, these McDonald's All-American players that try and team up and it seems to maybe not backfire, but obviously not work out as it sort of intended to? I think uh, every single player is, is a unique and individual case. And I think that... Um, it's really healthy for some players to be in that high-pressure, high-profile environment surrounded by you know, some of the, the best of the best. Um, and I think for others, it's not. Others need to, need to be the star. 
of that time. You know, you look at a guy like Colin Sexton going to Alabama. You know, that's that's a kid who needed to be the the star, if you like, and got that opportunity. Um, each player, I think, is um, an individual case. Some some players really thrive in it. Um, some don't as well. You know, whether it's Duke, Kentucky, you got to remember that a lot of the you know whether it's Duke, Kentucky, they pretty much have a starting five, which are, which are all freshmen as well. So some of the expectations in how they're going to perform, especially out the gate, sometimes get a little bit out of control. You know, it was the same thing last year when we were looking at the Duke team with, you know, Bagley Jr., Wendell Carter Jr., Trayvon Duval, Gary Gary Trent, etc. You know, everyone was saying, oh, this team is going to walk away with the National Tournament Championship. But you forget, you know, there's sides like, you know, Gonzaga, for example, you know, mid-major team who, you know... They've got guys you know, going into this year like you know Rui Hachimura and Killian Tilly, you know experienced guys that are potential lottery picks themselves that have now been coaching the system and coached well for for, for two three years. It does make a difference. Um, so I think it just depends on on the individual player. I think some are ready for that almost sort of you know being surrounded by just elite players some just really struggle like you said not being the superstar you know they're used to being the the best player in their state or their you know their region and all the hype that goes with it that they sometimes i think struggle not being that guy um but i don't think there's any kind of one definitive answer i mean i i much more prefer the the kind of environment that's created in in kentucky to that of duke i always feel you know i could be wrong here i always feel there's a lot more pressure on these guys at duke and i don't think the coaching's been particularly great the last few years there um you know kentucky had for their standards a really you know even for their standards a really young and raw team last year that probably didn't perform but again you see sides like Duke and you see sides like Kentucky play at this pace, this unique game. They're trying to fit, you know, a lot of guys that play the same position on the floor at the same time, like we were talking about earlier with Fox, Monk and Briscoe. You know, you have three guys that potentially could play point guard, but all having to be on the floor at the same time um, and trying to make it work. So all of that sort of takes in a bit of an element um, into it as well. Um, I think it just changes from year to year on the personnel. But like I said, I don't think there's any one particular answer to it yeah yeah fair, yeah that, that sounds yeah that's exactly sort of how i sort of thought i feel like you know the team that have success with those players that sort of stick around maybe not so notable in the espn 100 rankings or you know don't make the mcdonald's all-american games or the jordan games but still a solid player and i think villanova sort of you know with jay Wright sort of followed that you know sort of that model and you mentioned gonzaga as well gonzaga is one of those team that have consistently performed within you know the NCAA tournament but um yeah uh, I think we'll end it here thanks Craig for jumping on uh, again this is Craig from Razzball.com um is there anything that you want to shout out anywhere that uh, the the listeners can find you at uh, you can find me on Twitter at Storytelling41, usually just a, a mismatch of, you know, college and NBA hoop stuff and, you know, occasional minor league baseball stuff as well, just all sport related. Um, but yeah, check out Razzball, you know, we have weekly podcasts there, um, you know, different writers that all sort of touch on different subjects there, whether it's player development, uh, NBA, but it is fantasy related. So if you're into fantasy sports or, you know, DFS help or anything like that, um, definitely worth checking us out. Cool. No problem. Thanks for coming on, Craig. Never a problem. Uh, pleasure to be here. All right, no problem. Thank you. Bye.
not a problem. Um, hope it went okay for you. Yeah, no, it was great. It was great. Um, definitely, we'll try and you know maybe just keep in contact a bit. Maybe just update on how you feel about things and stuff like that. But um, yeah, it was just great to get you on. No worries, man. All right, we'll you take right, care, no and I'll um. All right, you see. too, mate. All right, bye.